Hi, and thank you for listening in to the New Song Podcast from this week's service. You are welcome and encouraged to join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in person. And for more information on how to get involved with New Song, go to newsonglouisville.org and follow us on social media. And now for today's message. I want to read you something this morning and then I want to talk about praying together for a great awakening. This is by a brilliant missiologist. His name is Fred Markert. He's um, probably the main missiologist for the missions organization called Youth with a Mission, or YWAMers would know that name well. Here's what he says in an article entitled The Urgency of History. Just follow with me here a little bit and listen closely to what I'm going to read to us here. In the 5,000 years of recorded human history, 26 superpowers have risen to preeminence. And all 26 have inevitably fallen, following a clear pattern from outburst and conquest to decadence and collapse. Every superpower repeated the same pattern time and again throughout human history. America is the 27th country which has risen to preeminence and is now in the last stage in the life of a society called late decadence. The final stage is collapse. America is ripe for collapse. Throughout history, every superpower which fell has caused a power vacuum which created prolonged seasons of war and conflict as nations then vied for position. It was the collapse of the Roman Empire which ushered in the Dark Ages and initiated centuries of wars and conflicts across the known war, the known world. It was the collapse of Britain's superpower status which ushered in two world wars and witnessed the bloodiest century in all of history. Superpowers are far from perfect, but they have brought stability to the world and have proven by far to be the most advantageous system for people and their societies to flourish. Superpower eras have also played a significant role in the advance of the kingdom of God. Because superpowers bring relative peace, stability, development, infrastructure, and prosperity, the church has always concurrently experienced seasons of significant accelerated growth and expansion. But when superpowers collapse, history demonstrates that the church falls into prolonged periods of decline. This clear pattern has played out over the last 2,000 years with significant global church growth occurring during the Roman Empire, the Mongolian Empire, the British Empire, and now America's superpower era. But in the chaotic periods between the collapse of one superpower and the rise of the next, the church has always seen steep global decline. Preserving the United States of America is critical for the world right now, not only for the sake of human global flourishing 
and the value of human life, but most importantly for the sake of advancing Christ's kingdom into every single country and people group on the earth. If we were able to preserve America, what God could accomplish in this season through our unity and collaboration could be the most momentous advance in all of church history. For the first time ever, completion of the Great Commission is now not just possible, but is within our reach. Current projections say that by the mid-2030s, translation efforts could complete a Bible in every language, and missionaries could reach the 3.2 billion unreached people with the gospel. This generation could actually finish the task that Christ began 2,000 years ago. But to do so, America must remain strong for another 15 years. And we must send 200,000 new workers, new laborers, new missionaries to the unreached peoples of the world in the 1040 window. But America doesn't have 15 years. In fact, most conservative historians believe America's collapse is imminent. The current factors which contribute to late decadence and collapse have been thoroughly documented. America hasn't learned from history, but rather has played it by the book. Now in just a few short years, China is on track to overtake America, not only as the dominant economic power in the world, but as the dominant military power as well. When that tipping point is reached, America's preeminence will be challenged and the world will descend into war and chaos once again while the church witnesses yet another long season of decline. Undermined from within and soon overthrown from without. America's only hope is a renewed passion for Christ, unity, repentance, awakening. I want to focus on that word awakening this morning. Revival, cultural reformation, evangelism, and missions. I want to talk this morning about praying for a great awakening. One of the prayers God's put on my heart over the last few years is to pray for a greater awakening than we've ever experienced in the United States of America in its whole history. Some would say there have been six great awakenings. Most of the time we think of two great awakenings, the first great awakening and the second great awakening, which were fundamental in the development and history of our nation. I'll talk about those just a little bit. Here's an interesting revival timeline, which gives you a sense of the six great awakenings or the six periods in the history of our land where God has moved. I'm going to use the word revival and awakening kind of interchangeably here this morning. I want you to understand that. I think revival oftentimes refers to something that's a little more localized and a little more limited, whereas awakening, I think, refers to something that's broader and is what is absolutely needed in the day and the hour that we're living in. But the words revival and awakening will be used interchangeably. So just understand when you hear revival, I'm talking about what I would consider awakening this morning. We're talking about an awareness of God that grips up communities. 
that one person said, revival is an awareness of God that grips the whole community and the roadside and the tavern as well as the church. Those places become the place where men find Christ. There's a vast difference between our modern evangelistic campaigns and a true awakening or revival of God's spirit. When you study, Adrian Rogers said, when you study the history of revival, God has always sent revival in the darkest days. Oh, for a mighty sweeping revival today. In true revival, the Spirit of God, like a cleansing flame, sweeps through the community. Divine conviction grips people everywhere. The strongholds of the devil tremble. And many close their doors while multitudes turn to Christ. Owen Murphy, in a great little book that I read the whole thing from cover to cover this week, it's when when God steps out of heaven. Owen Murphy says this, and he's talks a lot about the Hebrides revival, which we'll get to in a minute. He says, when men in the streets are afraid to open their mouths, let me get to this. When men in the streets are afraid to open their mouths and utter godless words, lest the judgments of God should fall. When sinners overawed by the presence of God tremble in the streets and cry for mercy. When without special meetings and sensational advertising, the Holy Ghost sweeps across cities and towns in supernatural power and holds men in the grip of terrifying conviction. When every shop becomes a pulpit, every heart an altar, every home a sanctuary, and people walk softly before God. This is revival. I don't know about you, but I'm so deeply concerned that we experience once again revival and awakening in our land. The first great awakening, uh, the key figure was probably Jonathan Edwards. First great awakening in our land went from about 1739 to 1743. Jonathan Edwards declared that the 1730s were a far more degenerate time than ever before in America He launched a great awakening. Some of you will remember uh, the sermon, the classic sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He launched a revival that swept all of New England. It was very interesting because Jonathan Edwards was deeply concerned about not being caught up in emotionalism, not doing anything that would necessarily draw attention to himself, But he wanted absolute everyone's attention to be drawn to Christ. So he literally practiced preaching in a monotone voice. He didn't want emotions to come into it. When he would read that written sermon, people would literally grab onto the pews for fear of falling literally into hell. This revival that began in our nation sweeps into Pennsylvania, into Philadelphia, throughout New England. George Whitfield is another person that God raises up in the midst of this. Here's what Ben Franklin said. Ben Franklin, who in our history is pretty well known as a agnostic, 
or deist, he said about this first great awakening, it was wonderful to see the change soon made in the manners of our inhabitants from being thoughtless or indifferent about religion it seemed as if all the world were growing religious so that one could not walk through the town, this is Philadelphia, in an evening without hearing psalms sung in different families on every street. It was interesting in that first great awakening, Congregationalists, Presbyterians, Baptists, Anglicans, Dutch Reformed, and Methodists all worked together desiring to experience God and see their communities transformed. This first great awakening brought widespread transformation to individuals and to the society through personal encounters with God's manifest presence. However, and you'll find this throughout revival history, renewal was not neat and orderly, But it was astonishing and revolutionary as revival stirred individuals faced eternity. Churches woke from lethargy. Colonies united. Social barriers relaxed. And controversy exploded. It's interesting what God does in a season of revival. A season of awakening. Social barriers came down. They were ignored and and marginalized. People who had been ignored and marginalized were given a voice. Lay ministers, including the uneducated and non-white, were ordained. Women and minorities served as deacons or elders during revival days. Native Americans, African Americans, women and children were permitted to exhort mixed assemblies when ministers recognized the presence of the Holy Spirit on them. Do you realize how revolutionary that is in 1740? This is what happens when God's Spirit begins to move all these barriers that we erect between one another start to drop and fade. A Harvard student during the Great Awakening in the 1700s wrote, there's a great and glorious work of the Spirit of God among us. The second Great Awakening, which occurs from about 1810 to 1840, some of the key people that God used were Peter Cartwright, Charles Finney, Francis Asbury, Charles Finney, when he was holding revivals, he would have two two men that were incredible intercessors that just would grab hold of the horns of the altar and not let go until God had met them. These two men would go before Charles Finney a week, two weeks in advance to pray until great conviction began to just fall in the community. The Second Great Awakening actually began as a prayer movement in 1784 when John Erskine of Edinburgh republished Jonathan Edwards' earnest plea for revival prayer. It was entitled, 
a humble attempt to promote explicit agreement and visible union of God's people in extraordinary prayer for the revival of religion and the advancement of Christ's kingdom. They believed in short titles back in those days. James McGreedy and Barton Stone, the Cane Ridge Revival, the Red River House Meetings here in Kentucky were a part of this Second Great Awakening. McGreedy and Barton Stone witnessed an astounding revival in Kentucky in 1800. Listen to this. With much trembling, shaking, tears, shouting, and fainting, with hundreds, hundreds of people falling in God's presence at once with shrieks and shouts and many conversions an utterly lawless community was transformed into a God-fearing one they said it was like the roar of the Niagara if you've ever been to Niagara Falls the roar of the people in God's presence Then in 1857, there's what's termed another of these great awakenings. It's also called the American Revival of 1857. The mighty visitation of those days from which has flowed almost a century of spiritual blessing. Like a spiritual tornado, the Spirit of God swept through the land. And New England became the center of the great Awakening resulting in great numbers finding salvation. In some towns it was reported as being almost impossible to find anyone who'd not been converted. Like a great spiritual epidemic, tremendous conviction of sin swept through the land. Thousands turned to Christ. Drunkards as they stood at the saloon bars, gamblers as they sat at the card tables, congregations as they sat in churches, even passengers on board incoming liners, ships, came under the influence of this strange and wonderful moving of God. And kneeling in repentance, they found pardon. In many places, dance halls, theaters, and gambling dens were closed or emptied, and new churches began to spring up everywhere. Family altars were restored, and the spirit of prayer grew in intensity until anyone could cross the land and find a midday prayer meeting in almost any town. It was estimated as many as 50,000 decisions were made in just one week. Following in his wake came mighty preachers of the Word of God, including D.L. Moody, under whose ministry multitudes were called to repentance and missionaries were raised up to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Then in 1810 to 19, or 1880 to 1910, you have another series of revivals, and so many of these revivals, it's interesting because there's seasons of God moving. And they're not just they're not just in one place. They're often in many places at once where God is just moving and working and great things are beginning to happen. 
1880 to 1910, you have the Azusa Street outpouring, which literally touches the whole world. I want to read you just a little bit about that. There were more than one, there's more than one move of God where fire was seen. Literally fire was seen. Let me find my notes here. William Seymour, the one-eyed African-American former slave, went to the Bonnie Bray house, very, very close to our Foursquare headquarters there in L.A. I just was there about three, four weeks ago. He went to a prayer meeting. He knocked on the door. He showed up at this prayer meeting and he said boldly to the ladies inside at this prayer meeting, I'm here in answer to your prayers. Imagine that, a one-eyed African-American man showing up to a little white lady's door. He called the group to 10 days of prayer and fasting. And wouldn't you know, miracles began to break out. Listen to this. This is, this is recorded historically. Onlookers ended up calling the fire department because they more than one, on more than one occasion saw fire coming out from the roof of the house. Sounds a lot like God's presence in the Old Testament, doesn't it? And whenever people in that area saw the fire coming out from the house, guess what? They would run to the revival because they knew God was going to do amazing things. Numerous times they also witnessed a fog in the room, had to move from the Bonnie Bray house to, to an old livery, an old stable. One night, William Seymour pointed out in the crowd there were 30 people who'd come together and he said, every one of you are going to receive a healing tonight. All 30 of them were healed. Nineteen sixty to nineteen eighty there was what we call the Jesus movement. How many of you seen the, the movie Jesus Revolution? Seen it three times now. Every time I see it, I just my heart just says, God do it again. God do it again. It's estimated Three million people gave their hearts to the Lord during the Jesus movement. I met a lot of them along the way, including my dear sister Pam Sugar. John and Pam gave their hearts to the Lord in the Jesus movement. You wouldn't think Pam was a hippie, would you, when you look at her today? You just wouldn't think that. She's such a classy lady. There's just such a great sense of need in our country. And I think there's an increasing openness to a move of God across every denomination. I think there's even just a sense and a feeling that 
There's a move of God that's coming. Like Adrian Rogers said, in the darkest times, God sends revival. That's why I wanted you to see that chart in the beginning because our, our history is a history of revivals. I want to talk to you about the Hebrides Island Revival for a little bit, one that maybe some of you have never even heard of. The Hebrides Islands were, are a group of islands right off the coast of Scotland. This revival occurred from 1949 to 1953. I got a picture here. It's just so powerful and so precious. So why don't you look at it for a minute. This is Duncan Campbell, the man that God used. But more important, these two little ladies. One of them's 82 and one of them's 84. One of these little ladies is blind as a bat. And these two little ladies were so burdened because of the appalling state of the church in the Hebrides Islands. And it was true that not a, not a single young person attended church at that day and time. And a verse of scripture gripped these two little ladies. And here was the scripture. I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. These little ladies were so burdened that both of them decided to spend so much time in prayer twice a week. They'd get on Tuesday, they'd get on their knees at 10 o'clock in the evening. They'd remain on their knees until sometimes 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. These two old ladies in just a humble little cottage. One night, one of these sisters had a vision. Now remember, in revival, God works in wonderful ways. A vision comes to one of these little ladies, and in the vision she saw the church of her fathers crowded with young people, packed to the doors, and there was a strange minister standing in the pulpit. She was This little lady was so impressed by the vision that she sent for her parish minister. And of course, he knowing these two sisters and that they were two women who knew God in a wonderful way, he responded to their invitation, came to their little cottage. And that morning, one of the sisters said to the minister, you must do something about this. And I would suggest that you call your, your office bearers together, your leaders together, and that you spend with us at least two nights in prayer throughout the week, Tuesday and Friday. Gather your elders together and you can meet in a barn and you can pray there and we will pray there. And that's exactly what happened. The minister called his elders. Seven of them met in a barn to pray on Tuesday night and Friday night. And these two little women got on their knees and prayed with them. And that continued on for some weeks. Indeed, this is Duncan Campbell's report and recollection. I believe almost a month and a half they continued until one night 
Duncan Campbell says, now this is what I'm anxious for you to get a hold of. One night, they were kneeling there in the barn, pleading this promise before God. God, you said you'll pour out water on him that's thirsty and that you'll flood upon the dry ground. When all of a sudden, one young man of these elders, a deacon in the church, he got up and he read Psalm 24. Who shall ascend the hill of God? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul unto vanity or sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing, not a blessing, but the blessing of the Lord. And then that young man closed his Bible and looking down at the minister and the other elders, he said this, it seems to me to be so much humbug to be praying as we are praying, to be waiting as we are waiting, if we ourselves are not rightly related to God. And then he lifted his two hands, and I'm telling you, just as it was told to me, he lifted his two hands, and he prayed, God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? He got no further. That young man fell to his knees and then fell into a trance. Now, don't ask me to explain this, Duncan Campbell saying, because I can't. He fell into a trance and he's now lying on the floor of the barn. And in the words of the minister at that moment, he and his other elders were so gripped by the conviction that a God-sent revival must be ever related to holiness, must ever be related to godliness. Are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? The man that God will trust with revival, that was the conviction. When that happened in the barn, the power of God swept into the parish and an awareness of God gripped that whole community such as hadn't been known for over a hundred years. An awareness of God. That's revival. That's revival. On the following day, the looms were silent. Little work was done on the farms as men and women gave themselves to thinking on eternal things gripped by God realities. Conviction begins to spread. I wish I could read you many of the stories of this. I'm talking awakening, folks. Pastor Bert, this one's for you. The the lobster fishermen out on their boats checking the pots came under such deep conviction they had to turn their boats around and rush to the church to get their hearts right with God. Men walking into the bars, sitting down and ordering a beer or a drink, fall under conviction before they can even get to their drink and leave it sitting on the bar and rush to the church to get their hearts right with God. They literally find on numerous occasions people in clumps on the side of the road in such heartfelt anguish they're praying and crying out to God for forgiveness. 
All the young people are at a dance hall, dancing and reveling, and God's nowhere on their mind. All of a sudden, conviction comes into that dance hall, and in moments it clears out. All the young people leave, and they head to the church. That was in one particular parish. There was another parish where there was a lot of unbelief and there was a hardness against God. And this is the story. I'll read it to you. As, as men are there gathered praying that the Lord would pour out his spirit on this, on this particular part of the island, one man stands and says, God, do you, do you know that your honor's at stake? Do you know that your honor is at stake? You promised to pour water on the thirsty and floods on the dry ground. And God, you're not doing it. Now, imagine praying like that. He went on to pray. There's five ministers in this meeting, Lord, and I don't know where one of them stands in your presence. But if I know anything at all about my own poor heart, I think I can say, and I think that you know that I'm thirsty for you, God. I'm thirsty to see the devil defeated in this parish. I'm thirsty to see this community gripped as you gripped our neighboring community. I'm longing for revival in God. You're not doing it. I'm thirsty, and you promised to pour water on me. Then there was a pause, and he cried, God, I now take upon myself to challenge you to fulfill your covenant engagement. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. What happened? The house where they were praying shook. A jug on a sideboard fell onto the floor and broke. A minister beside me, the man recounting this, said, it's a, it's a tremor. And I said, yes, but I have my own thoughts. My mind went back to Acts chapter 4 when they prayed and the place was shaken. When John Smith, that was this man's name, stopped praying at 20 minutes past 2, I pronounced the benediction and we left the house. And what did I see? At two in the morning, the whole community alive, men carrying chairs, women carrying stools and asking, is there room enough for us in the churches? And the revival broke out and oh, what a sweeping revival. I don't believe there was a single house in the village that wasn't shaken by God. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sins and I'll restore their land. Our God is a covenant-keeping God. Our God is a covenant-keeping God, church. This verse contains the four elements that occur in all Old Testament revivals. Humility, prayer, seeking God, and repentance. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah cries out, Lord, bend the heavens, tear open the heavens and come down. 
here we are, church. We, we live, we're blessed to live in, uh, in the Bible Belt. Some would even say that Louisville's right there. We're, we're the buckle of the Bible Belt. And yet look around us, church. There's crime. There's churches shutting down. There's poverty. There's homelessness like I've never seen it before in our city. There's abuse. Drugs are more prevalent than I've ever seen them before. More young people are taking their lives. It's pretty obvious all around us what the enemy's doing. He's trying to turn even the belt buckle of the Bible belt into a stronghold of evil. The only answer is a great awakening. That God's presence would, would come and sweep this land like he has done in the past. We're not calling for anything. We're not crying out for anything that God hasn't done before. There's four steps to revival that happened in the Hebrides. People must pray out of a conviction that revival is desperately needed. How many of you would just agree with me and, and by raising your hands, we desperately need revival. Can can it get can it get much worse? I don't know. I don't really want to go there. I don't know about you. But we need to believe that God's not pleased with our current state. And we need to start praying some on earth as it is in heaven prayers. Amen. And secondly, God is a covenant keeping God will hear his people's cries and he will begin to move. In revival, he purifies the church before he moves outside the church. There's some uncomfortable things happening in regard to God cleaning house in the church. There's people being revealed and exposed and stuff coming to the surface and some of it is just, wow, it's heavy. God, would you refine and would you, would you purify your bride? Number three, people must be willing to allow God to move in the way he pleases. Like Suzanne said this morning, sometimes that means people are going to just plain out be uncomfortable. Jonathan Edwards said this, extraordinary affections, fits, jerks, convulsions. People will always criticize a move of God. And by the way, the critics have been forgotten along the way. History's forgotten the critics. But Jonathan Edwards said, people will always criticize a move of God, but oh, to be so affected. George Whitfield, John Wesley, people sunk down before them, people convulsed. There were strong times, there were tears. God moved in ways that were supernatural. People respond differently when God comes. When God begins to do a deep work, sometimes strange things happen. If it has to be all in order, you're going to be uncomfortable. 
It happens in all moves of God throughout revival history. I'm not talking about some nutty, wild evangelist coming in doing some kind of crazy, you know, uh, hijinks. These are the great men and women of, of the faith. Like I told you, in the Cane Ridge Revival, the awakening of the 18th, there was a roar of Niagara. There were shouts and shrieks that rent the very heavens and brought transformation to our nation. And lastly, it's a manifestation of the presence of God. It's divine in operation. It's the Lord's doing. You and I cannot conjure it up or make it happen. And oftentimes in the midst of it, God will give you enough evidence to believe but not enough to overcome those who are gripped in unbelief. I believe God's moving in our land. I believe we're in in a precursor right now to a move of God, to a a revival. And I want to find out what God's doing, and I want to be a part of it. Tracy and I are heading to a place this week where last year God so ignited our hearts that we had a, it carried us with a passion and a fire for months and months and months. And we're going back hungrier than ever saying, God, do it again and do even more. God's going to raise up those that carry a burden for awakening. Matthew chapter 16, last week we looked at this, right? I solemnly say to you, whatever you forbid on earth must already be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth must already be permitted in heaven. It's a great translation of Matthew 16, 19. To bind is to forbid, to loose is to permit. You don't just go around doing this indiscriminately. You bind what's already bound. You loose what's already loosed in heaven. We need to start praying Just like Matthew 6.10 tells us, right? Your kingdom come, your kingdom come. This can be translated, by the way, as a declaration in the Greek. God, come, come, your kingdom. Let your kingdom come, God. Let your kingdom come, God. Let your will be done. Your will be done on earth, God. Your will be done on earth. Just as it is in heaven. The gates of hell, we talked about this last last week will not stop the advance of God's kingdom there's not poverty in heaven but there sure is poverty in Louisville something's wrong is poverty forbidden in heaven you better believe it is abuse forbidden in heaven you better believe it is violence forbidden in heaven you better believe it is murder forbidden in heaven you better believe it we can bind it here and we can loose the peace and presence of god's spiritual solutions or spiritual problems call for spiritual solutions matthew chapter 18 tell you the truth whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven again i tell you this is a repeat of the same verse in matthew 16 jesus is saying it again there's something always when jesus repeats himself there's something powerful and important about it again i tell you if any two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for to be done for you by my father in heaven for where two or three come together in my name there i am with them And the power of agreement, it only takes two. 
There's no such thing, by the way, as a church of one. Well, it's just me and God out there in nature. No, that's not a church. There's something about the power of agreement when two or more believers come together and we agree according to heaven. God hears when we begin to pray, God, on earth as it is in heaven, on earth, Lord, as it is in heaven, when we come against the powers of darkness together and we bind them together in Jesus' strong name, when two or three come together, God says, I'm with them. And something happens in the spiritual realm that affects the natural realm. And it's called, folks, an awakening or a revival. Joe and Suzanne, would you guys come back up, please? I just want to end today by opening this section just for prayer. If you need to go, I totally understand. I'm going to go ahead and pray and release you. Lord, go with us. Those that need to go, go with us. Stir our hearts, oh God, stir our hearts. May they hunger and thirst for a move of God. May we not be satisfied with the status quo. May we be moved to tears. May we be moved to seeking your face more than we ever have before. And God, hear us from heaven. Keep your covenant. Heal our land. Pour out your spirit. Move mightily. Send revival. Bring an awakening. A greater awakening than ever before because God, we desperately need it. And without it, we have no hope. But you are our hope. And you will hear your people's cries. And we thank you for that. Go with those now, Lord, that need to go. God, burden our hearts, all of us, to cry and pray for revival in Jesus' name.